Welcome to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast, a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, an integrative practice committed to expanding access to holistic root cause medicine to the global community. We are excited to bring you a conversation today with Dr. Diane Gilman. Dr. Gilman is a psychologist who has been working with her practice from the very beginning. Diane specializes in the treatment of conditions including chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and difficulty adjusting to life changes and relationship stress. Dr. Gilman uses a holistic and integrated approach to therapy that include, includes several psychological theories such as cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, humanistic psychology, and family systems theory. Her goal is to provide a unique treatment approach that addresses the whole person to heal and empower her clients. Join us for a conversation about what you can do to prevent stress and burnout in order for you to feel your best. Welcome, Dr. Gilman, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so so Diane, so let's uh, talk first about how you got connected with CIH all the way back in 2015. Oh my gosh. Well, it started in uh, 2013 when I met you uh, and we used to get together at Dawson's for juice and to talk. And uh, my five-year plan was to own an integrative center. I had the mind, but not the body part of it. And you had the body, but not the mind. And it was, uh, yeah. Do you remember those days at Dawson's? Awesome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, we all met together, uh, the whole perspective team. And uh, by the fall of that year, we were all set. Everything kind of gelled at that yeah. point. And just kind of getting back to kind of the basics, what motivated you to become a psychologist? Um, so I've just always naturally been really interested in how the mind works in general. I've always been the friend that people came to. Um, but mostly once I, I took a, a class my senior year in high school and um, I was just really fascinated that people were almost like in their own jail cells holding the keys. Like as if you showed them that the keys were in their hands, they could just get themselves out. Um, most of, you know, anxiety, depression is our own thoughts. And that really fascinated me to be able to do that for people. Um, and then later on with the health specialty, um, it, the mind-body connection really interested me, and I went around to many different health practices in the area asking, like, where are some health psychologists? And they said, we don't know, but if you find one, let us know. Um, and so the specialty came from there. Yeah, so health psychologist, and like you said, we're both our own prisoner and jailer. It sounds like we are able to get out of that once we kind of flip the switch and change our mindset. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, ideally, yeah. Sometimes right. we get a little, sometimes we go back. Right, right. And, uh, well, this kind of, you partially answered this, but what do you enjoy most about what you do in, in your day-to-day, day-to-day life here? I really love the people. Um, all of the people that I work with are just, I love seeing them. I love watching them get better. Uh, I feel so honored that people trust me with their deeper secrets or things that they wouldn't want to say to anybody else Um, and doing some of the mind body work for pain and illness and watching in real time like if we're doing a deep breathing visualization exercise and I can watch in real time somebody's anxiety going down or somebody's pain shifting 
sensations. It's just so neat to watch that play out uh, alongside of me. Great. So let's talk about psychology and your specialties uh, now. So uh, we can talk about some conditions or topics that you work most often with. Mm -hmm. uh, so most often it would be health-related issues such as pain or illness that are either diagnosed or undiagnosed. So a lot of times I get people who have undiagnosed symptoms, uh, which is really, really difficult as an experience to go through. Um, as you can guess, I'm probably not the first person that somebody with illness symptoms would come to. They would probably pick a medical provider. Uh, but at the end of the day, they've either gotten told so much they should see a shrink uh, in a very negative way, or uh, they really need help processing the diagnostic process. So um, that, that's the main thing that I see. I also work with a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, and then I guess lower on the totem pole would be like life relationships adjusting. Um, as you can imagine, during this last two years or so, that's been a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so as a health psychologist that specializes in chronic pain and chronic illness, what specifically got you into those areas, subspecialties there? Um, so I really started learning about the mind-body connection uh, in grad school and was just really fascinated how you could use your mind to alter things that were going on in your body. Um, and once I moved back to this area from grad school, it, it was just clear that there wasn't a huge... A pocket of people who specialized in it. Um, and so that's kind of what I came to right away. Yes. And uh, what has it been like for you to work over the past two years during this pandemic? And uh, what themes have you found showing up during this time? So it's been really interesting. Uh, it blows my mind still that my job is able to be remote. Um, I think in our field, that was something that never ever was a possibility. Um, so it, it was a transition at first figuring out, you know, HIPAA compliance and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the challenges is, you know, some people are coming to me to talk about the people that are in their home with them that they can't get away from. And so, you know, confidentiality is trickier um, and people feeling like comfortable and what they need to say. Uh, but it has been actually, I think, a bonding experience for the people that I work with. Um, you know, we're seeing each other in our own homes and there's an element of that that feels like a little more comfortable in the relationship. Um, people can, especially my chronic pain clients, uh, you know, they've got their pain aids right there. So they're in their jammies and they're in their comfortable spot where they go when they're in pain. They've got ice or they can go get up and get like a heating pack. Um, so it's actually been very convenient for them. As you know, traffic in this area is kind of crazy. So um, the stress of coming to an appointment would sometimes flare up illness or pain. Um, so it's been uh, a really nice transition and uh, people seem to really enjoy therapy from their homes or, you know, I've talked to people on the side of mountains. I've talked to people in their cars. <laughs> people, people seem to get the, really like the convenience of it. Um, so it's been uh, a real surprise. I couldn't have predicted it, but it's, it's gone very, very well. People are hiking while they talk to you, do you think? Or <laughs> Yeah, some people are taking walks. I had one client talk to me from the top of a ski uh, mountain right before they were about to do some moguls. <laughs> okay, so not while they were actually... Yeah, not while they were skiing, okay. but some yep. people do take walks because um, yep. I also allow people to do phone sessions 
Um, I understand that the videos are, you know, very fatiguing, especially certain conditions that, you know, screens are very aggravating for certain health conditions. So uh, some people will talk to me on the phone and go for walks or sit in their gardens or uh, I've had some clients be painting while they're doing that. So it, it's been really nice to get creative and see what works for people. So one silver lining of this pandemic is that telehealth and, and you know, telehealth for mental health visits too has been really opening up and we didn't really know about this and either mental health or medical visits you know yes yeah this. and there's actually uh they just passed uh cypact in maryland which is a group of providers that once you're licensed within them uh which i just got licensed as a cypact provider you can actually provide teletherapy across state lines with other states that are in cypact so currently dc maryland virginia pennsylvania and west virginia are all cypac states so it allows our clients to travel uh clients that are going off to college um COVID has actually really really helped in terms of telepsychology for that reason everyone is seeing psychologists and mental health providers right now during COVID. i think this is definitely a time of really extreme or definitely uh not normal level of stress i think we all have some chronic stress and burnout and things like that but this is sounds like this has kind of brought it to the next level so let's kind of go into our first tangent here and talk about covid for a second since we're still in the pandemic as we're taping this uh, right now um what have you found in terms of covid and sort of covid related stress how has that impacted people's mental health oh huge um there's so many dimensions of it uh you know it's torn families apart it's caused you know relationally difficulties within people who have different belief systems different vaccination uh you know strategies um you know a lot of the clients that i work with are terrified of getting covid and what it does to their immune system and what it does to them long term I've worked with a couple of people who have long-haul COVID symptoms, um, and this is a brand new experience for them being chronically ill for the first time in their whole lives. Um, you know, there's just, I think, the, the stress and the isolation of the pandemic or some people, you know, the loss of their jobs if they're, uh, you know, they have to be on site. Uh, you know, I have a massage therapist client that really, you know, that wreaked havoc on her, so financial security, things like that. Um, some people who had to go into work and were incredibly stressed about that. Um, and then there's, there is a population that COVID has really been helpful for them. Um, and so just kind of adjusting to how do they keep some of those changes going forward. I feel like in a way COVID is almost like a physical, but also an emotional mental health tsunami, you know, like those giant waves that are, you see on those wood block yes. prints. I mean, how, when you see that t tsunami, you know, how do you, where do you begin? Where do you begin with managing stress, avoiding burnout? What are the first steps you would consider, whether it's a client or someone you're listening? Yeah, good question. It usually where I go first immediately, no matter what stressor they have is coping. Um, I want to look at where are the gaps in their coping. I'm a big fan of filling a tool belt. Like, can you cope anytime? So a lot of people will say things like I cope with yoga or gardening. But what happens if you're in a meeting or in the car or in the shower, or you're trying to fall asleep. And so I'm really trying to look at gaps in their coping skills and give them some ideas for that. Um, and along with coping goes uh, different mind body techniques to get them immediately calmer, like deep breathing or visualization techniques. So filling that tool box or toolkit, Home Depot, mental health edition, essentially. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> 
what are your favorite tools that you said uh, breathing deep breathing visualization what are some other things you you feel yeah. are helpful deep breathing is the first thing i always do because it's the easiest and there's really no situation where you can't like even right now i could be deep breathing in between while you're asking me questions i'm totally doing that as uh, well yes good okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna keep calm um yeah so deep breathing is the one i teach them first and then i usually customize deep breathing protocols for them the counts the holds the visualizations the messages that they're doing um, beyond that, any present-based activity, so um, like using the five senses, looking around the room, uh, what things start with the letter P, how many, how many items in the room have three letters in their name, um, anything to get them really focused in on the present moment. Um, the sensory thing is five things you can hear, or sorry, five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. Those are a little trickier. Uh, the last two, <laughs> but uh, anything to get people grounded into the present moment is uh, those are the favorites because I can see them working. Even clients who have never done any deep breathing, who are very, very stressed coming in, um, I assess their level one to 10, 10 being a panic attack. And even ones who are like eight, nine, when they come in, who have never done deep breathing will drop at least two to three points on that scale within about two minutes of deep breathing. So it's very effective, very quick. Any mantra-based uh, breathing or techniques that you use, like people saying a certain word or sentence? Yeah, over and over? so usually I customize it for them. I ask them what are they feeling that they'd like to release on their exhale and what would they like to call in more of that they can pull in on the inhale. But as a general one, uh, you know, we have to remember that the stress response is our body responding as if we are not safe in the present moment. Um, it's our entire body gearing up to present uh, preserve our life as if there's life or death situation. There's really no in between for our brain. So a good general mantra is I am safe. It is safe to relax right now. It is okay to calm down. Anything, usually I'm safe to relax is the one that gets people the most. Just repeating that helps our brain to shut it off. And I, I found that, you know, with uh, obviously dealing with a lot of patients, uh, you know, professionally, but also, you know, personally, just my own health journey, I've, I have found that, you know, a lot of times we, we don't even know that we're stressed. We don't even know that we, we have burnout, right? It's, it's almost like this subconscious uh, feeling and this like, imbalance in the autonomic nervous system, but we may not actually know that until we get to mm -hmm. a safe place of relaxation and kind of settle into that chair and feel the body and kind of calm down the, the incessant thoughts that are happening, right? So, so how do how do people know that they're stressed? You know, how do people actually know that there's an issue, or is it just they need to try it and then try to figure out is, if there's a delta, if there's a change there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my experience is that people are very unaware of when they're stressed or even what stress means. Um, and I think part of that is societal. We are like a very go, 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 especially in this area. Um, but I do think that during COVID, we have just been under a very chronic high sustained level of stress and it doesn't even register as stressful anymore at this it's point. It's the baseline now, right? It's our baseline. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, for most people, I really get on people about check-ins, um, you know, ask yourself at least once a day, it can be meditation, it can be journaling, it can simply be checking in with yourself and asking how you feel. But you would be surprised how many people day to day do not do this and they just kind of fly through the day without any awareness. 
Um, so check-ins are a huge part of what I do in therapy for almost everybody. Um, but generally the signs you want to look for are if you can't really remember things like, I don't even remember, like breakfast feels like five years ago when it's really been two hours, you know, that there's a, if time is a little bit off or your memory gets a little fuzzy, you're probably not present. And if you're not present, you're probably stressed in some way. Um, that's that's one of the main things how many sort of negative thoughts are running through your mind um have you been agitated how have your conversations with other people gone were you a little short or you know were you more sensitive any of those are signs that you're stressed and something's going on going a little deeper here um can stress exist in the present moment absolutely yeah yeah, and, and is it okay to feel that stress, right? You know, a lot of times we're kind of like, oh, let's take some pill or, you know, let, let's, let's, let's go on the internet and, and look at the light, latest news, right? To try to, try to escape that, right? Try to get away from yeah. that. So how do, how do we actually, how do we actually cultivate a healthy relationship with stress? That's a good question. You know, happiness is like the zeitgeist and it's, it's honestly toxic, um, we, the goal for us is not to be stress-free and happy and calm and just kind of like skip off into the sunshine. We are supposed to feel our feelings. We are supposed to have all of the feelings that grief and loss and anger and fear and sadness and joy and excitement, they're all supposed to be felt equally. That's why we are not animals and that's why we are not robots. And so anytime we block that process for emotions that we don't want to feel or we don't like, or we're scared of, or we're uncomfortable with we really uh, block up the system, so to speak. And so it is actually not healthy to just feel happiness and just be stress-free because you would be blocking the other emotions. So once you understand that, you really start to get what it means to have good mental health. We're on a full spectrum of life experience, not a sort of a, a I don't know, cookie cutter or kind of a, a gilded you know, type of... Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Thank you. Um, what do you see as common root causes of burnout? You know, we know a lot of people are burnt out. So yeah, um, I would say the biggest thing is the lack of check in, like I mentioned before. Um, and along with that goes a lack of self care um, and a lack of self care routines. Um, those I think are the biggest causes. Um, I also think, you know, we have these narratives uh, that we're kind of stuck in certain situations, but we can always get creative with our problem solving and figure it out. So, for example, you know, during quarantine, people were very isolated and that was a real stressor for people. And yet, what are some things you can do to feel connected? What are some things you can do to feel joy? Um, I always use the example, like I'm a big traveler, but obviously couldn't travel. So I made a travel bathroom. I put all my souvenirs, I redecorated, it was a whole project I was at home anyway. So just kind of getting creative to think about, you know, what your problems are. And then can you flip the narrative to see if we can problem solve in a, in a healthier way? First of all, travel bathroom, that's an excellent idea. <laughs> <laughs> we can get yeah. into that more, I think, uh, the <laughs> later. Um, but uh, yeah, you can really go anywhere you want, depending on you can create your reality, essentially. Yep, exactly. Nice. Um, yeah, it just kind of reminded me of you said the lack of self care and this idea that we're always checking about our cars, like, is there how much gas do we have in our tank, right? But we're not checking about how much gas do we have in our own tanks. Mm-hmm. In yeah. our own bodies. The analogy you know, I use a lot is the iPhone battery or our phone battery. I mean, we are constantly watching that. 
Uh, we know when it's time to plug it in. We anticipate if something's going to use a lot of battery that we should probably plug it in ahead of time. That is a perfect analogy for how we should take care of ourselves. And you also uh, see a lot of clients with chronic fatigue, and, and we know that that's becoming an increasingly common issue in, in our population, of course. What are some common reasons for chronic fatigue that you see in your, in your clients? Yeah, usually what I see is tied to uh, a couple of different factors. I try and look at chronic fatigue pretty holistically. So I'm looking at diet, I'm looking at hydration, I'm looking at uh, what their intake is with medication supplements, I'm looking at their lifestyle factors, like do they have good self-care routines, what's their sleep hygiene like, do they have good sleep-wake cycles, and most importantly, uh, the biggie for chronic fatigue syndrome is the rest activity balance. Most people have a very uh, wacky rest activity balance that contributes to the experience of fatigue. Uh, I've actually never met one client that didn't have an imbalance there. Um, I think we all do it in general, but it's very important to stay attuned to it with chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah, and I, I just started tracking my own work hours and it was pretty eye-opening how much I'm working. So I've been able to actually notice an uptick in my energy. Not that I think I have chronic fatigue, but definitely yeah. I notice more energy with a better rest uh, rest activity balance. So that's a great point is, you know, some of, sometimes we're looking at, oh, what is the certain, you know, treatment? What's that kind of magic pot at the end of that rainbow? But in fact, we might be able to control it a lot more than we think based on our own life, cho life choices. Uh, yeah, I've had a couple of clients with persistent chronic fatigue syndrome go into remission uh, once they're looking at the whole picture of things. So I have seen it. I know it's possible. It, you know, it's not going to be possible for everybody. Um, but, you know, I do think we have a lot more control than we believe any health condition or pain condition. Right. So look at it holistically, look at it from a medical perspective, nutritional perspective, structural, mental health, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, it is a multifactorial condition, but there are many things that we may have control over that we don't really necessarily know that we have control over, like these kind of um, work life or activity rest balance. And uh, let's face it, we're not cars, you know, we're not actually meant to run 24 seven, burn gas, you know, burn the candle at both ends, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yep. And uh, I think if people do want to have an extra, you know, thing to do, and they want to keep busy and, you know, but still be relaxed, they could also renovate a travel bathroom, that might be a way to do it. Something fun. Right? I have a lot of good ideas for that. <laughs> okay, great. We'll talk more about that. And um, anxiety and depression, I know this is was common even before the pandemic. And now it's like, just totally blown up, right? What are some common root causes for both anxiety and depression? Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, diet and sleep and lifestyle factors certainly play into anxiety and depression as well. So I'm always looking out for that. Um, but beyond that, I do find that a lack of awareness in terms of our thoughts and our emotions uh, really play a part in anxiety and depression. We tend to have, I, I think, I can't remember the percentage, but research shows that a giant percentage of our thoughts are actually the same thoughts as the day before. We tend to think the same thoughts over and over again. And so if we understand that we have the ability to interrupt those thoughts and have novel thoughts that are more rational, more helpful for us, not happier, but rational, more helpful, um, usually that can uh, make a dent there. And that's, that's usually what I'm using something like cognitive behavior therapy for. Okay, so CBT is helping to change those thoughts that otherwise would be kind of these repetitive 
same thoughts day in and day out and kind of wearing that person down and yeah and it's it. really fostering the awareness that these thoughts are even happening some of them are hmm. at the conscious level but some of them are at the pre-conscious or subconscious level um and we are just so used to seeing the world in this way or thinking these thoughts that we don't actually realize awareness is the biggest piece we this. don't even know that we're wearing those colored glasses right and we're like looking at the world that way got it yeah great um all right let's talk about one of the, the most favorite topics uh, ever i think too is boundaries yeah <laughs> we're not talking about like state boundaries or national boundaries we're talking about uh just in general boundaries um i think you know what are boundaries in our lives how can we use them effectively in our daily life daily lives yeah so boundaries are really tricky for people um and we have all different types of boundaries people assume external boundaries with other people but they can be boundaries with our work-life balance they can be boundaries within ourselves as to how we treat ourselves or how we talk to ourselves or the food that we consume um there's a lot of different boundaries but for me boundaries are really of and for the self they're kind of like radical acts of self-compassion even if we're setting a boundary with another person we are telling that person how to respect us and how to treat us. So they are uh, daunting for some people, especially if they're not used to setting boundaries. Um, but the truth is that if we don't set them, we get the same thing over and over again. So, so I, if I heard you right, um, setting boundaries with others or with the kind of the external environment, and, and like you said, there could be some internal as well, but, but setting boundaries in any of those ways, externally or internally, is sending a message to yourself of a radical aspect, uh, radical self-care, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And and what could be better than that in terms of root cause of, you know, dealing with yeah. anxiety or depression or whatever people are dealing with, right? Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings us to the next question, which is about the holidays, since we are taping this right before some major holidays coming up. Um, yeah. With the holidays coming up, how do you recommend people navigate difficult family relationships or relationships in general? Um, because a lot of times people are spending more time with family or friends than they typically yeah. would. Yeah. I mean, we could have like five podcasts on this topic. <laughs> this is pretty much all I'm talking about at work these days. But I would say there's a couple of different big things to look at. The first being boundaries for sure. Um, I really advocate that people set boundaries in advance so that they don't have to do the hard work when it's happening in person. So, you know, these topics are off the table. I am going to leave at this point. I am not eating gluten, whatever the boundary is. Make sure everybody's on the same page before you even arrive to that place. Um, really think about holiday plans as an option. A lot of people don't see them as an option. They see them as an obligation. Um, but if it's not healthy for you, then you should really think about that boundary within yourself. You know, can you show up for five minutes? Can you not go at all? Can you do it virtually? Um, and think about those boundaries for yourself. Um, the other part is uh, how do we watch our own regulation while we're moving through these experiences? So, um, you know, if there's certain foods that are triggers that are going to be on the table, how do we make sure that we can enjoy ourselves but not sabotage our progress or sabotage our own health because we're stressed? Um, how do we make sure that if we get stressed out at the table, you know, what can we do? What are some little things? So I often tell clients, you know, excuse yourself, go to the bathroom, do five minutes of a visualization, come back go get some fresh air, go, you know, help with the dishes, have some sensory experiences, um, really keeping your eyes on yourself and your mental health throughout the day, which registers as selfish for a lot of people, but it's the good type of selfish. It's the of and for the self kind of selfish. 
um, that will help us move through the holidays easier. And then the last thing is, you know, I hate the term the holiday season because I think what that does to us cognitively is it loads on a stress for two and a half months. When in reality, we're talking about three days, maybe five, depending on what you celebrate. And maybe like, let's say 10 to 12 being generous if you have a lot of parties to attend. But that's still a very small fraction of two and a half months and people just kind of go, uh, I'm not gonna diet during the holiday season or oh, I'll, I'll go off my gluten diet and like have it's some- like a quarter trigger. of the year or something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, can't. <laughs> it's not funny. a free pass to feeling crappy for two and a half months. And hmm, so good point. we really have to keep our eyes on ourselves through that time. Let's uh, rename it right now. What do you suggest? Ooh, I would just say random days like we do for Mother's Day, Father's Day. This is Thanksgiving. This is Christmas. This is Hanukkah. This is Kwanzaa. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, in other words, we don't have to behave that way or treat every single day leading up to that point for two months before that, yeah, like the holidays, because it's not, better. right? It's, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. So, yeah, yeah there, and well, and then there's the hallmarks and that, like, there's the whole, like, even before, I think even before Halloween, there's all these decorations coming up and, you know, yeah. stuff, so... Yeah, it's speeding us up. Yeah. Which is the, the capitalistic part. part of it. Yeah. I was going to say the last part is, you know, people think that the holiday season should be joyful. Um, when in reality, the holiday season is very, very hard for people. Um, if you've lost somebody you love, getting together with family, the travel, the disruption of our schedule, the food. Um, and so don't beat yourself up if you're having a hard time during the holidays. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be like a Hallmark postcard or something no, like that. it's not really usually. Right. <laughs> and, and let's let's get back. And, you know, it's it's winter time. It's it's the it's the season in which the holidays are <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, what do you see in terms of the relationship between screen time and mental health? You know, like we're probably using screens more nowadays. Um, is there a healthy balance there that we can achieve so that we can optimize our mental health? Good question. Yeah. Um, well, I think, first of all, you know, watching the light frequencies that we're consuming, making sure it's not disrupting our sleep schedules, um, making sure we're also looking at nature and at natural light is very important. Um, I think for some people who are feeling particularly isolated, you know, screen time is helpful to Zoom or FaceTime or things like that. Um, if you're using screen time as avoidance, so you notice you've been on Instagram for the last like 40 minutes when you should be doing filling the blank, then it's an unhealthy use of screen time. Um, now to be fair, uh, that's normal and everybody does that. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Totally uh, you know, normal. don't beat yourself up for it. Yes. No uh, enjoy that time. Don't stress over it. Right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> or if you have yeah. something that you need to do that you're putting off with screen time, do that thing first, then give yourself some screen time. So the intention um, of it and, you know, oh, I'm going to go on Instagram, I'm going to go on Facebook, do that, enjoy it for that limited period of time, then do something else so it doesn't become excessive. Yeah, I think too, you know, I always talk to people about time in versus time out. Time in is focusing on yourself and your feelings. That would be journaling, meditating, walking, uh, therapy, um, talking to a friend about your feelings. Time out is where screen time falls in, right? So and sometimes you need a timeout. You need to, you know, just like adults, we need timeouts. We need to just check out and turn our brains off and mindlessly scroll. Um, and sometimes uh, we do that in place of time in and that's where it becomes unhealthy. So again, if you're not aware of your own feelings, if you're not checking in with yourself and you're instead focusing externally, that's when we get the recipe for poor mental health. 
so that inside outside balance just having that ratio be and and is that ratio different for each person like how much inside time how much inner work do we need in a day let's say i don't know if there's a good yeah. answer for that but I think so. I think too, you know, some clients who are really going through things and they don't want to check in with themselves. Um, I always say that's fine. Just ask yourself how you feel. Like if you want to be on Instagram for an hour, just say before you get on Instagram, I'm feeling sad and then get on Instagram for an hour. Like that counts. You just, just don't, don't not do it at all. Um, so just, okay. So even like a five second check-in before touching in that Instagram, surprised how much people don't even do that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, how am I feeling? Is there something I need today? That's all. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be perfectly aligned. It can still be more time out. I noticed inside timer does it really brilliantly. It talks about how, how are you feeling? You know, good, great, fair, poor, whatever. It, it, it makes you press that button before you go on the meditation app. It's pretty interesting. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. Use that. Um, well, we have some fun closing questions, and uh, we can talk about the travel bathroom more if you'd like. But uh, gonna <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Goodman or Diane, do you have a morning routine? Uh, and if so, if you don't mind sharing that with us. Yes, I have very strict morning and evening routines, which I think people forget about. Um, the morning routine is always meditating for 40 minutes first thing. Um, I know that sounds like a lot. I built myself up to that and it's really a sanctioned way for me to close my eyes still, even nice. though I'm not in bed. Um, and then usually journaling, um, with a lot of natural light in the morning so that my sleep schedule is good, um, and drinking something to start hydration. And then in the evening, usually it's a lot of dim lights, uh, reading, uh, on my balcony, no matter the weather, it's just kind of nice out there. And, um, it's usually like a slow shower just to calm my system down before bed. Nice. So, that sun, moon cycle, everything's kind of flowing in day exactly. to night to day. That's, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And what book or podcast you're enjoying the most right now and what is it about and why do you like it? So right now I'm reading the Midnight Library, which is about uh, like actions that we could, uh, it's about the, it's a fantasy about a library that exists between life and death. And the book, the library contains all the books of the different lives we would have if we've made any number of different choices. And kind of the moral of that is, uh, you know, we're all on the path that we're supposed to be on. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's no such thing as mistakes. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, and finally, what do you do every day to cultivate joy? Ooh, uh, definitely something in nature, definitely meditation. Um, I do a lot of uh, singing in the shower <laughs> um, and cooking. Singing, cooking. Uh, singing is definitely one of the best ways to activate the vagus nerve and That's right. relaxation. Exactly. Uh, we don't have to do a live singing, but uh, we can <laughs> worry about it. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on today. And how can listeners learn more about you and work with you? Yeah. Um, so they can go to my website, which is the Center for Mind and Body Um, and that will explain a little more about me. I also have a profile on psychologytoday.com. Um, if they want to work with me, so right now I've got a wait list. Um, my first time ever having a wait list coincided, not surprisingly, with COVID. Um, so there's just, there's more people who need therapy right now than there are therapists who can help. Um, and so, uh, I do have a wait list at the moment, but I'm very communicative with clients when they want to know where they're at or, uh, you know, do I need to refer them out? Um, they can email, they can call, or they can text. 
And what I, I just want to say, uh, personally, you know, what I really love about your practice and your work with clients that I've, you know, witnessed with, uh, you know, sharing some patients with clients is that you really give people the tools and empower people to take charge of their own mental health and to, you know, kind of use those tools in that Home Depot mental health toolkit, right? So you can, so that, so that they can move the needle on their health. And that's, that's so nice. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I, that is, uh, my, I think my goal is that people don't need me anymore, um, that they can use this stuff themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and usually that's pretty successful, which is why I usually have a high turnover. Uh, just not right now. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Thank you so much, Dan, uh, for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today out there. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. Hit like, subscribe. It helps our podcast reach more listeners. And don't forget to subscribe uh, so that you don't miss our next conversations. And thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you so much, Diane. Nice to be here.